Welcome back, GPS to God. Glad you are with us for another episode, and it's a good one. They're all good ones, but this one is going to be great. Today, we have the better half of the Patterson duo. We have Lori with an E. Lori with That's an E right. when you send in your fan mail. <laughs> make sure it has an E. Lori Patterson. Thank you. Glad to be back. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's been a while. Dana Morrow and Jason Morrow, along with Daniel Sanders. But you you know me, Morrows. Thank you both for being here. Dana, you've been here before. Yeah, once, one time. But we do have a rookie with us. Yeah, so we do. Give it to him. Take, take it <laughs> easy on Jason. <laughs> and Dana Morrow, otherwise known as my sister. They are, in fact, sisters. Yes, we are. don't look alike. We do sound a little bit alike, yes. but we are sisters. Do you yes. act alike? Sometimes. That's, I mean, not, that's not Jason. Do they act alike? We need a neutral opinion here. <laughs> you don't want to play a game with them because that's they're just like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're going down. They do girls versus guys when we have family gatherings, and it's just like well, we we don't have a chance. We <laughs> yeah. we got to split this true. duo. Up, it's like you a know? telepathic thing. Yeah, it really yeah. Is they true. just they yeah. they exactly. draw draw one circle and they're like Mount Mount Rushmore. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Mount Rushmore. Yeah. We'll say remember that time in second. Yeah, Miss Smith. That's it. Okay, next one. Remember on that <laughs> Tuesday? Yeah, red. That's it. Let's go. <laughs> I feel your pain. It's not exactly. fair. Yeah, it's yeah. really not fair. <laughs> Man, that's just a preview of the fun we're going to get into. Glad that you're back. We already said that I think, but we're we're doubly glad you're back. And uh, we're going to get into a great story. It's great because we know the outcome, like Zach <laughs> said, but uh, a great story about uh, the Morrows and, and some things they went through with one of their children. But uh, first, we got to give the Facebook, you can check, not Facebook, what's it called? Instagram. Instagram. There we go. <laughs> uh, check us out on Instagram. You can email us, mailroom at gps2guide.com. Check out the uh, website. All that cool kind of stuff. So there we go. We did all the legality stuff. That's right. So let's get into it. I think we'll start slow, though. Sisters, any dirt you want to spill on each other? Got any, oh any good stories from growing <laughs> up? Something that one of you did to the other when you were young kids. So like the statute of limitations has <laughs> it's passed. It's worn off. <laughs> Feelings have been oh. mended. I, anything that you just want to share with the world? We are pretty um, open with the fact that we fought every single day growing up until the day they got married. And then... That's a long time. You it's say, a long you, time. You said growing up. That's like... All the way growing up. All the way growing up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the way. We are only 21 months, 21 months apart. And so very close. A lot of bickering. Shared a room. Yes. That was a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A lot of togetherness. So we fussed a lot. So we always give hope to moms and dads whose children can't stand each other. Like, there is hope. We are now mm -hmm. very close, yeah. <laughs> too close, talk all the time. So there is hope for you, you parents out there whose kids are fighting all day, every day. One day they're going to grow up and be just like this. Yeah. <laughs> we did fight a whole lot. Literally, the day I got married, I don't know, if a switch flipped. And all of a sudden, it was like inseparable. Yeah. So you were you all were you and Jason married first? Yes. Mm -hmm. How long between the time you got married to the time you and Fano got married? Uh, we were two thousand two. We just celebrated our twenty first anniversary last week. Congratulations! Yes. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. And we were two thousand nine. So okay. a little bit yeah. of time. Little time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like you both got married in short order. Right. And, like, just lives changed. It was just the one wedding. It really was. Yeah. Distance made the heart grow fonder. Got her out of that room. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Space doubled. <laughs> the space doubled, it yes. Mr. The whole thing Mister. to myself. <laughs> it's about maturing and, you know, that probably had a lot to do with yeah. it. But. All right. I mean, I'm sure we could dive deeper into that, but let's go <laughs> on to something else. <laughs> We've got all kinds of stories. That, that's a whole other episode. Yeah. yeah, check out the outtakes. There may be some more in there. But uh, we're going to talk a little about a more serious topic that you all dealt with and are still still dealing with with your son, Reese. So I'll let you all start from the beginning and just give a little background, and then we'll let the questions fly. Okay. You want to tell the story? Uh, I can. Okay. Um, You're the so medical you guy. <laughs> Since you dropped that, Jason, what do you do for a living? Since we, I we do ultrasound. 
I think Dana talked about that when I she was here so, on the mom's yeah. episode because you all were able to get ultrasounds more frequently. You got right. them at home so earlier, you could tell yes. earlier the sex of the baby boy girl kind of thing. Right. So. Right. So that's a medical profession. Yes, thankfully. Yeah, and so even still with me having done ultrasound, um, Reese's condition, he was born with an abnormal heart valve. And so unless you're doing a fetal echo for a reason, that's not really something that you look at really closely. So we had no clue. Um, you know, everything was looking good, looking healthy. You know, he, he's born pretty. It was 10 days early. Yeah. But I mean, full term. Full term. Mm-hmm. Right. He's a big boy, eight, five and a half. This is our second child out of, the four that we have now. So we had one, we had a two-year-old at home and um, we're excited to have another one on the way. So we had a fir- our first son and then Reese, we knew was a boy because Jason scanned me at home and told me we're having another boy. So go ahead. Yeah. So like she said, 10 days early. Um, and then, you know, they just do their assessment. They come in and they really didn't let on that anything was wrong, but they heard what's called a murmur. So his heart was making an abnormal sound and they, I think, did they order some? Well, he was born at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. And um, so the Saturday morning, the pediatrician from our doctor's office, the group, whoever's on call that weekend would come in. And it wasn't our actual um, doctor that was on call that weekend, but because we were close friends with Dr. Edson, he he made a point to come in on his own, which was totally a God thing. We found out later. So he came in the next morning, Saturday morning. He was not supposed to be on call. He, you know, he was off, but he came in having no idea there was something wrong, but he came in, did his normal assessment, and then he had a cardiologist there before we ever knew it, <laughs> ever knew anything was wrong. So you can go ahead and explain. Yeah, and so the lady, the cardiologist that came in, Dr. Hermo is her name, and um, that's Reese's cardiologist to this day. But she came in, did her assessment, and then told us that he's got um, a bicuspid valve. Your aortic valve is supposed to have three leaflets. His has two, and his was also narrowed. The um, when, So when it developed, it didn't open up fully so it was really tight and so it wasn't allowing the blood to flow through that valve um, the way that it should and so she said we're going to transfer you guys to Vanderbilt Children's we were at Baptist or Midtown whatever and um, we said okay Um, so we went there the next day. Thankfully because of his training and his expertise he knew exactly what the issue was so she comes into us explains all this I'm in this like postpartum stupor hit with this news we're transferring you your son has a heart problem we had no idea thankfully she leaves we kind of have this like moment of what is happening and he was able then to explain it in just like real simple terms and so because doctors they can kind of talk over your head sometimes and so in the state I was in, it was not registering. So thankfully, I think that's a God thing that he gave Jason the knowledge he has to really understand the heart, like really understand the heart. So, so on yeah. a transfer like that, when you're being moved from one hospital to the other with a newborn, do they take you in an ambulance or take him in an ambulance? Do you pack him up in the car, drive him over? How does that work? That makes no difference to the story, but I'm just yeah, curious. No, that's yeah, that's an interesting question. <clears throat> Funny you asked that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> So he, he was completely stable. He wasn't really at any risk or anything. Um, Vanderbilt has a specialized ambulance. They call it the Guardian Angel. It's like an ambulance, but on steroids. The thing's huge. But um, he was only going like a mile or he two miles, whatever. He had an IV. That was it. He yeah. just had an IV, not for any real reason. They weren't giving him anything, but he wasn't hooked up to anything A precaution. At all. Yes. Yeah. But they brought this fancy ambulance. He was he was just right at twenty four hours old when they transferred him from Baptist to Vanderbilt. In in our minds, I mean, he would have been completely fine to ride in a car and go over there. But protocol is, you know, we, they can't do that. So 
They call the big ambulance, comes and takes him. We pack our own stuff and drive over. Um, they took him right to the NICU, I guess, yeah. over there. Yeah, started some more Yeah, did their stuff. own testing. and um, So then we realized, you know, after they kind of assessed, did their own assessment, it, you know, his, his valve was pretty blocked up. Um, so it needed immediate attention. Um, it was, a, you know, graded as a severe stenosis, which is a fancy word for a narrowing. And um, they were going to do a, a procedure that's called a balloon valvuloplasty. They go in through the groin with a catheter. When they get to the valve, they inflate a balloon, drag it across that valve, and it essentially tears the valve because it was fused to fuse tight. Um, so they did that. At four yeah. days old. Mm-hmm. So we were there a few days before. They were trying to get him a little bigger. Although he was born at eight, five and a half, and this was 10 days early. So he was a big boy. He was the biggest baby in the NICU. <laughs> he was huge. It was kind of funny. But um, they were wanting him to get a few more days under him, under his belt, I guess you could say. And so at four days old, they did the valvuloplasty. So they, and so the, the caution there is they can open it too much. And so if the valve is then opened too much or torn, then the blood can flow backwards, and that's not what you want. So it's a real fine line on the, the amount that they inflate the balloon and then all that. So it's, it's a very delicate situation. So I want to pause for a second, switch it over to Lori coming from outside perspective but still an inside perspective from the family what's this like for you going from the joy of a birth of a nephew to now we have an issue we were in the cafeteria this is when they were still at baptist like waiting to go up to see him we had like i i remember i had not held him yet and i think we had just gotten there and they said the doctor's here y'all go downstairs and then y'all can come back up you know hold him whatever and so i remember I can't even remember how now we got the news, but then it was like, okay, there's a problem. He's leaving. They're headed to Vanderbilt. You know, they're headed out of here. She'd just given birth the day before. I mean, this was like very postpartum. And so you go from like, which y'all did too, like the highest of highs to, oh my goodness, what, now what? What do we do? What's going to happen? And I was thinking too, even thinking, had they told y'all at that point this is like a lifelong thing. I mean, had they given like, this is something you're going to deal with forever, or this is like a, this surgery is going to fix it. I can't remember at what point y'all found that. At least I didn't know that he might've just because he does this all the time. I did not know what we were up against lifelong. Not Mm. yet. Little, Little spoiler alert there. Yeah. Stay yeah. tuned. We're yeah. going to get, gonna get there. there. We wouldn't be here if the story ended there. <laughs> yeah. So with my background, I knew that. So people with, I mean, God, it's it's crazy how he forms the body. Just like people would be like, what's the big deal? You just don't have a, a third leaflet, you know, but he made the body just so that people that have a three leaflet valve, their valve may, um, kind of wear out in their 70s or 80s, where a bicuspid leaflet, if you're lucky, you'll make it to your 40s before before having to have it replaced. And when you say leaflet, I feel like I remember you describing, like, it's like a peace sign, like, divided in three, the valve itself. Like a Mercedes-Benz symbol, where there's, like, three parts. But Reese's was just, like, in half. Like, there were just Mm -hmm. two sides of it instead of Mm -hmm. three. Right. Right. And there are people walking around with two leaflets that just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and that in and of itself isn't necessarily dangerous, but... Um. I, I will say, I remember being worried about Dana. <laughs> like, Because, again, very freshly postpartum, get, planning to be in the hospital several days just for her to recover and then having to, like, uproot and head to a different hospital. Right. Obviously, we were all worried about Reese, but I remember being very concerned about her. Well, that's <laughs> that was my next question is... When you get transferred, what happens to you? Do you go to a, a delivery room? I don't know what they call it, recovery room, or 
or whatever the second room they move you into for the hospitals yeah, that do that. Um, but did you go to a regular labor and delivery room and become a patient there, or what no, happened for you? My uh, OBGYN had to discharge me. Had to say, okay, she's good enough to leave. And thankfully, this wasn't my first child as far as that goes. So I knew what to expect. I knew how to take care of my body and all that stuff, you know, after delivery. But Vanderbilt did give us a sleep room that first night, which is typically for, like, families who are out of town. But because I needed, I was beginning to nurse, and, you know, all those things, right, that you do in those first few days a lot, especially, um, they did give us a sleep room the first night so that we could be right there. They knew I needed a bed. I needed, you know, to rest. And so they gave us that, but only for the first night because they do have so many from out of town. They had to turn that back over. So, and since we are local and we're thankful we are, you know, we understood that. But um, so, no, I was no longer a patient <laughs> after about after 24, 24 hours, hours. Mm. from delivery. Yeah. So, so you, f- you find out this news. What happens next? So at four days, they did the valvuloplasty, and that went very smoothly, textbook case. Um, I remember, you know, the night before, he had to be in PO without nursing, you know, from midnight to the day of that surgery. And I just remember thinking, he's not going to make it. He's a newborn. He's going to want to eat. I was at home. Uh, I was still having to wake up to pump, you know, for him, Um, and I just – I just remember praying so hard, like, please get him through the night without waking up. Because I just could picture him, me not there, him laying in the isolate, just crying to eat all night. And so we decided that night not to call because I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know if he was laying there crying, hungry. And so we got up and we got there the next morning and he had slept all night. And I knew that was a God thing. I had prayed so hard. I mean, we had, everybody had, that he would sleep. You know, because babies are hungry. They mm-hmm. cry. And the thought of that just was awful to me. So he slept all night, and he went right on to his surgery without any trouble. So that was a blessing. So that was over after a few hours. We waited in a waiting room, just the two of us, uh, lots of families. But our family was in a separate waiting room at that time. And then at six days old, he was uh, discharged from the hospital. So... Six days, we were able to reunite with Brett, our oldest, who was two and a half, thinking, where are my parents? I've not (laughs) seen them in a week, hardly. I mean, we were there at night, but very distracted when we were at home. And we were all home together after six days. What did Brett, I mean, he knew there was supposed to be a little brother, I'm guessing, come home. What did he understand of that, of where is he, or did any of that register with him at that time? Do you remember? I don't remember. You might know better than I do. I don't remember. I guess we, we just probably just had a lot it. of fun with him and yeah. distracted him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, age was a good thing. It but was. age he was then. Right. That he probably he a lot doesn't of it, remember yeah. it. Yeah. 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 What, what's, for, what's for lunch? What's for, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I watch <laughs> TV? That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Can we? Yeah. Play? That was a blessing because I, I remember feeling very torn between wanting to be at the hospital and wanting to be at home with him. Yeah. But I think Dr. Edson was like, Brett's not going to remember this week. So you go be with your baby. <laughs> so. so how common is this condition? Do you know? It's a good I question. I don't have the exact numbers, but it, it's, it's common enough that you do see it, um, you know, with other people. But to throw out a number off the top of my head, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I, I want to I say it's like one in 40,000, but... It could be way more than that. And that's the people who know it. You know, you're saying there's people walking around that don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But y'all know of, people that... Yeah, a couple of celebrities that have this condition, if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron Boone, who's the, the Yankees manager, he's had this exact surgery. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow. Yeah, he's had his uh, had the same issues his life and had his fixed so, so. i'm i'm expecting pretty big things yeah, from reese I know. That's yeah. how jacked you can get it's <laughs> <laughs> not gonna hold you back he thinks he's already that <laughs> so he has this has the surgery comes home what do the doctors tell you what do you expect from there well kind of the biggest thing i can remember is and whether it's exactly you know the case or not, but they, they just, 
told us to kind of limit prolonged crying. It it increases the pressure across the valve, you know. So I was always afraid, like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> he can't cry, like you know, overexert himself, and so that I, I just, I mean, in a f- kind of a funny story, w- when he was so little, I would we would he would sleep in his crib but he wanted to fall asleep holding my finger. And so, you know, just as I thought maybe he would doze off, I'd try to slip out. Nope. <laughs> he'd tune up again. So, I'd, so there were literally nights I would just have my hand over the edge of the crib, let, let him hold my finger, and I was just like laying my head there because I was so tired, but I was wanting him to get into a deep sleep. and Not cry too much. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, all in all – he was fine. No one would know he was, you know, had this issue at that point in time. He didn't have any kind of restrictions. I mean, they did mention that, you know, so there's that was in the, you know, in our minds, but it wasn't very often that we were too concerned about that. But um, we knew, we learned in Vanderbilt those six days we were there that, you know, he would never be able to play contact sports as, as it, the valve was at that point. And um, that he, you know, that was really the main things. No football, no hockey. You know, those those kinds of sports were out, and we knew that from day one. But other than that, you know, he could grow up and be fine. They were just going to keep a really close eye on it. So the first year, we were at the cardiologist's office a lot because they grow so big. Babies grow so big that first year. So they were watching the valve. As he grew, they wanted to make sure the valve was growing with him and not closing back up. And so that's we were just watching measurements and so thankfully every time we'd go he knew what they he knew what the dog the, our cardiologist his cardiologist does all her own scans and so she does the echo right there in front of us with Jason they talk a lot of shop and no numbers and this and that and it's great because he understands it maybe too much I don't know I'm kind of glad to be in the dark about some of it to be honest with you but um, so as he got bigger and things were pretty stable, we got to where we were going once a year until things, um, you know, were any kind of concerns. And so for, for, for many, many years, we were just going once a year to the cardiologist. Uh, it wasn't until he was 12, things started narrowing again. And so, and, and our hope was to get him before they needed to replace that valve altogether Ideally, you get as old as you possibly can. Through puberty is best. Because then after you hit puberty, you get a big growth spurt, then, it, you know, your body's a different size altogether. So the the goal was to get him through puberty before replacing that valve. But when he was 12, it started narrowing again. So we started going more often to the cardiologist and... Um, at that point, she started seeing him every three months, and she, I can't remember now what month it was, she said, I'm going to present him to the board. I think it's time to review his case. And so she took his case, all those numbers, all those measurements that she was watching so closely to the operation team at Vanderbilt. They meet once a week, and she presented that to them, and they were all in agreement. It was time for surgery. So at this point, he was 13, and not quite hit puberty, you know, like we had hoped. I mean, in it now at this age, but um, uh, it just was what it was. And so um, we scheduled it, and it was two months out that from the time that we scheduled it to when it was to happen. What year was this? This was just last, 2022. Okay, mm-hmm. so far enough removed from the COVID time period of... Yes, I guess that was I, about July 2022 that she said it's time to schedule it. The isolation in hospitals, no visitors. You know, if you have a surgery, selective who was getting surgery, but mm-hmm. if yeah. you did have surgery, you were by yourself, no family, no yeah. nothing. So. And some of that was still around, I will say, but um, things had loosened up just a little bit. Okay. So this was just last July. I mean, we're almost right at a year ago that we were hit with the news, like it's time. And so that was, you know, a lot for him to process, a lot for us to process, something we've talked about his whole life. Yeah, that was a question I had. 
how had he processed this? What was his normal? Like he just grew up knowing my heart is has a defect. Yeah. Yeah, we that just I'm going to have to be fixed one day. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Because we were going to the cardiologist, he, you know, is well aware. And None I will of my s- other friends are doing this. <laughs> what, what is <laughs> <What's> this about? <laughs> Who's this person? Um, a few years ago, he had always. He's just an athletic kind of kid. He baseball had superstar. You baseball, don't have to brag on well, him. I'll brag. <laughs> he can't play football. No, no. But he but he's, he's a beast on the baseball field. Well, and yeah. that's something I do yeah. want to share because when he was. In Vanderbilt, that first week of his life, and we were told no contact sports. I started praying then that God would give him the desire for something that he could always do, whether that's golf, whether that's music, whatever it was. You know, just don't let him fall in love with football, you know, (laughs) because we knew he couldn't do that. And so he fell in love with baseball and has, I think, been gifted, you know, with some talent and a lot of fun. He loves it. And so, God really answered that prayer for sure. But because he's an athletic kid, competitive, he's always played basketball too. But um, several years ago, he started having kind of some episodes from all the running. And so his cardiologist had to um, kind of cut that out. So he had never really experienced, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the word? (laughs) Like passing out? No, he had never experienced. I mean, like he he played flag football. That kind of satisfied that. He like Like just restriction, restriction. Yeah, Yeah. he had never really experienced that per se until he had played basketball for many years, and then all of a sudden couldn't. And so that was a little tough, I think. You know, for him to come to terms with, he handled it fine, but he just likes being active. So uh, she had restricted him from that. But, again, he had baseball, and that's something you can play year-round, really. And so um, and so he's been playing that even, at, yeah, until last July when we're like, okay, it's time to get this on the books. So. But there were things like excessive push-ups or, you know, things that you would keep in mind, like, uh Yeah, they would do plank challenges at baseball, and he was, like, winning them. He was holding them for seven minutes on one hand. And we're like, yes, son. And then I go to the cardiologist, mention it, and she's like, he should not be doing that. Whoops. (laughs) Aren't you proud? (laughs) No. She's like, that is not good for him. (laughs) Whoopsie. (laughs) So we did have to pull some of that back. Like, let somebody else win, okay? (laughs) The doctor says it's time for this procedure. The board approves it. Mm -hmm. What does that entail? What are you going – what did he have to go through? So they – they got us in line with this surgeon that our cardiologist recommended, and he and we had this. This was kind of a COVID thing, but we had a video um, conference. That's how we met him. And I don't, you weren't even there. Mm-hmm. He was working. It was during the day. So Lori came over, sat in my floor, like dictate. You know, she was like typing everything. And she yeah, transcribing it all because I had a list actually, a list of questions for him, just like from. Can he ride roller coasters to, uh, is there physical therapy after this surgery to all kinds of things? Are there visitors in the hospital or, you know, whatever it is, recovery time. Like I had a list of questions. And so we had our video chat with him for an hour. He answered questions for me and um, sent a huge email packet of stuff. He needs to start on these vitamins and, you know, limit, you know, access to like germs, you know, those kinds of things, just um, just in preparation. So it was a long two months of waiting. It was it was long. It was brutal, to be honest with you. That was probably the hardest part of it all because they told us until he's in the OR, this date that we've set may or may not be the surgery date. You know, if he gets sick or there's a more critical case or whatever it is, he'll just get bumped. And we just wanted it over with at that point. So the surgery they were going to do is replace the valve completely? Yes. Good question. You explain the, the procedure. Yeah, so um, he was going to have what's called the Ross procedure. And th- this kind of goes back to his age with him being an adolescent. They have to do this procedure because the odds are better that things will be successful. Whereas if you can make it through puberty and into adulthood, <clears throat> they can replace just the aortic valve with different types of valves that they can use for that. 
Um, but being he was younger and he was his body still changing and growing, they um, took the bad aortic valve, took his good pulmonic valve, moved it over to the aortic side, and then replaced the pulmonic with the cadaver valve. So he essentially got two valves replaced instead of just the one. And that, that's what the Ross procedure does. Uh, but they say studies have shown that kids that have the Ross done, um, the odds of success and not having to go back in and intervene are, are good for, for a while. And so that's, you know, the I mean, avenue he, that we took. He will have to have this replaced again in his lifetime, maybe more than once. But we're hoping to get many years out of it. Really, the first thing that will probably wear out is the pulmonic valve because it's um, it's a cadaver. What they put in Reese is a cadaver, and it'll just wear out. So, But when they replace that, that can be through a catheter, so it won't be another open-heart surgery like this one was. So a lot less invasive. So what recovery time and stuff? He has the surgery. What's the recovery time? What's the limitations? What do they tell you about that? And how did how did Reese handle it? And tell before you do that, tell about getting there. You know, obviously that two months was brutal. And you finally get there. And I don't know if you want to talk any about the headache of insurance and getting all that. But that was such a God thing that was mm -hmm. worked out. But I do think that's a big part of the story. Yeah. 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 So give yeah. that that little part and then the, you know, getting there and getting to the operating well, room and all. I'll, I'll give a little. So Dr. Bichelle was his, Reese's surgeon's name. Um, he's, he's a great man, great surgeon. You know, we didn't know him at all. This is just the, who they were going to send us to. Um, but talking to other people, I, you know, one lady is a nurse. She works for a cardiologist. She said, I'll, I'll ask him and see what he thinks. He couldn't say enough good things about him, you know, as as a colleague. Um, one of the guys that did Reese's Echo at Vanderbilt, I mean, he's an adult, and he was going to have to have an aortic surgery, and he was like, Dr. Bichelle is going to do my surgery. And, you know, he's, and he's an adult, and he's going to have a pediatric cardiologist do his work. You know I mean? It just – so everybody, you know, several people we've run into are just like, you know, he's he's the man – so I when at the hospital I I, I thought he was going to walk in in a fur coat and sunglasses but he didn't do that with a posse <laughs> yeah yeah exactly an entourage but, um, but so that that's a little plug for him but he he's a great great he, man yes we needed a cardiac thoracic surgeon and uh, so we had this his surgery scheduled for two months well exactly two weeks before surgery uh, our insurance company called and said this surgeon is not covered. And I was like, what do you mean it's not covered? We're two weeks out. At this point, you know, we've got, like, the time. We're ready. And they're like, no. And they, But they couldn't give us a list of any other doctors. And we didn't want any other doctors. But they did, the list they gave us was just, we're just cardiologists. And that wasn't going to work. And so then we had to start the appeal process. We had to fill out tons of paperwork to get a single case agreement approved and it was the biggest headache I have ever experienced you just are at their mercy you fill this stuff out you email you fax you I don't even know where it goes you talk to these people who just read a script to you I mean you don't feel like a person you feel like a name on a page and the urgency that we felt to get this done I mean was he was it an emergency surgery no but it was ready it was time and so um for 10 days, we were up in the air about this surgery. At this point, we had waited a month and a half. We were ready. And then all of a sudden, it's like, this may not happen because your insurance. And so I have never felt so hopeless in my life. I have never gone to bat for one of my kids as hard as I went to bat. I mean, I was a mess trying to just to handle it. And it was awful. And you have to have insurance. I mean, this is not <laughs> anything you're going to pay out of pocket, you know, and um we did not want to push it out any further. We had waited, and we wanted it over with. And so his surgery was scheduled for October 10th, which was a Monday, and the Wednesday before we finally got it approved. So mm -hmm. we had 10 days of just, I don't I, I can't even, it was torture. <laughs> and that may not sound like a big deal, but it was a, such a big deal. We just, 
you're just at their mercy and there's nothing you can do. And that's kind of when the scripture, so Lori's got this shirt on. Uh, and God showed me in those 10 days, the second Corinthians 12, nine, and I can read it because I felt so weak. I couldn't do anything else. I mean, I was a mess. I was crying. Jason kind of went through a roller coaster of his own emotions. I mean, we were just at their mercy and God showed me this. Uh, it's in, and it's Jesus talking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I had never felt so weak, and I needed God's power. And so I'm so thankful for his word that he showed me um, during that time. So so Wednesday, we're like, okay, it's go time. Let's do this. Um, it's going to be Monday. Here we are at that point. We're like, please keep him healthy, you know, you know, COVID's still around, and um, they were going to do a COVID test on him the Friday before. We had Friday uh, was his pre-op day, and they said plan on being there all day. And we were there near all day, uh, just labs and echo, uh, x-ray, uh, just everything you can think of, COVID tests, all the tests, meet with the surgeon, you know, just all these people. And so... Um, Friday, we, we got all that done. We already actually got, we, we had his schoolwork that he was going to miss. We had it with us. So we're like, let's get a head start on this because we knew he'd be out of school for a while. So he's working on his school stuff. And so Saturday, we get a call. His surgery is supposed to be on Monday at 7. And they called Saturday and said, we're going to need to push you back till Monday afternoon. I'm like, okay. That's fine. And we knew this. Like, we know you are not guaranteed till you're, you know, in the OR. That's what they kept saying. And it's Vanderbilt. So anybody's, I mean, it's the best of the best around here. So if anybody with a more urgent case is coming in, he's getting pushed. Right. And we understand that. Like, we we would want to be, you know, sensitive to that. And obviously that makes good sense. So we're like, okay, we can do Monday afternoon, you know, just don't push it out again, just kind of holding our breath. And so we get there on Monday. We, I've got my notes here I made, that we left. We had to be there at 1230 to check in. And you can imagine that was a long morning at home. You know, it was a very weird morning. Our other kids went to school. <laughs> and we're just home with Reese. And he has um, to fast and all that kind of yeah. stuff. He can't yes. eat. That's a, right. That's a long time. It was long. Yeah. And so, and nerves. I mean, you can you yeah. imagine um, what you're, you don't really know what you're facing, but you know it's big kind of thing. And so we got there, we got checked in, we got in, you know, um, in the back in a gown. And Dr. Bichelle is in this, this first surgery and it just keeps dragging out. <laughs> and he's hungry and, He's nervous, and we are too. I mean, you know, it was a lot. And so they finally took him back at 4 o'clock. So that was a long time to wait, especially sitting there in a a hospital gown just waiting. And so at 5.45, his cardiologist came, and she found us. Not the surgeon, just his regular cardiologist. What did they tell you time frame? um, Did they give you a time frame? Yeah, 5 to 7 hours. 5 to 7 hours. Mm -hmm. And so they took him at 4. At 5.45, the cardiologist comes and says, they've not started on him. Like, but they've had him almost two hours. And she said, I don't know what's going on, but they've not started on him. And you're thinking they're almost two hours in. I mean, we were, yeah, yeah, we finally kind of resolved. We're a third let's of go, the way yeah, yeah, let's go eat a little bit so we're ready for the night. We knew it was going to be a long night starting that, that late. And so we just were confused. So we went, we sat we went back to the waiting rooms we'd gone to eat, and his surgeon walked out at 7. And they were not able to start him. Let me back up. They did start him. They had to stop him. Um, they had put him to sleep. He had the breathing tube in. He had IVs in both arms. He had the central line in his neck, and they were about to cut his sternum. And the one ICU bed that was that he was going to did not become available. That patient became very critical. And so they literally had to stop Reese because he would have had nowhere to go. That's how full the hospital was. So like, what does this mean? You know, what, what is ahead? 
And they're just like, we're just going to get them to a room upstairs. We'll take the tube out. We'll take the catheter out. We'll kind of keep them groggy for the night. And we'll come get them at 7 in the morning. So, I mean, what do you do? <laughs> it just was what it was. I mean, we hated it for the little girl that was having an emergency. And, um, you know, it could have been worse. So, for uh, you know, it just was what it was. So, we finally saw him at 10 o'clock that night. He was very groggy, hooked up to a whole lot of things, and um, slept most of the night. He kind of came to, he ate a little bit, drank a little bit, like popsicle. He didn't eat food. And slept most of the time. He talked to us very little. But you had to Um, tell him, like. But I said, honey, they didn't. They didn't get to do it all. They're going to do some more tomorrow. And I don't even know what was processing in his head. He, I just, it was terrible. Have you talked um, to him afterwards? Does he remember any of he this? He does not remember this, thankfully. So we got settled into that room for the night. And he woke up about 4 o'clock the next morning, kind of in a panic. Kind of like, where am I? What is going on? But we are able to get him settled. And the closer we got to 7 a.m., the more I started thinking they're not going to come get him. Like something's going to come up. They're never going to get this surgery. You know, I just wanted it over with. And um, let me back up because we forgot a key thing. From the day before, we had waited so long, and we were all nervous. And the anesthesiologist that came in saw our shirts we were wearing. And she said, what is that verse? I'm reading through the Bible right now. So I was able to share with her, and she... I could tell she had a faith like we have faith, you know, in, in God. And so she prayed over Reese right there, and she was great. She tried to distract him, gave him her cell phone, and here, find me some music you like to listen to. And she was wonderful. And so when they postponed his surgery, then I'm like, I really want you here tomorrow. Like, you are who we want. And she said, I'm actually supposed to be on another case shoot and um so anyway fast forward to that next morning and we're waiting and it's getting closer to seven I thought they're not going to come something's more critical is going to happen and I look up at literally seven o'clock and that anesthesiologist was walking in our door and I was like oh my goodness did you get your cases what swapped and she said yes so she was able to do so she knew us she knew Reese I mean he was still very groggy at that point mostly sedated but um they took him back. They took him from us at 725 that next day, that, that Tuesday. And um, they opened him up at 845. And honest to goodness, that second that I knew he was, like, cracked open, which sounds awful to say, we both just, like, oh. I mean, because it was finally going. Like, I wasn't nervous about the surgery part. I mean, it's so intricate what they were having to do, literally – you know, put him on a bypass machine, no heartbeat. Like, it was a big surgery. We weren't nervous at all. We played Yahtzee, I think. We uh, watched a Braves game. Like, we just, we were so relaxed, I think, during the actual surgery because it actually started because we had dreaded it for two months and a day. (laughs) I would probably feel like, that's they're professionals. That's what yes. they do every day. They're great at it. You got the best of the best doctor mm-hmm. that everybody wants. Right. So that's that common piece. Now we yes. know it's a God thing. Absolutely. But yes. we know God is working through. He them gifted and that doctor. So, yes. Yeah. One hundred percent. So we um, we were getting messages, call, phone calls about every hour and a half from the OR telling us what they were doing and how he was doing and. Um, they had done about an hour and a half on him the night before. So this surgery wasn't going to be as long. Uh, it ended up being about five hours. They closed him up about 1.30 and um, said it was a textbook case. Couldn't have gone any better. And uh, we were concerned. We had heard kind of some horror stories about people waking up and still being intubated with that tube. And so we were we had made that aware to the to the cardi- or to the anesthesiologist, like we just really want that out as quickly as possible because we've heard it. It's just it feels terrible, and so she knew that was a concern of ours. And she came out and talked to us and said he's still intubated, but we'll take it out as soon as we can. And so we went and saw him at five twenty. So they'd taken him from us at seven o'clock that morning. 
and at 520 that night we saw him and walked into his you know ICU room I've never seen so many wires so many tubes he was just laying there no shirt no gown no nothing just hooked up you know asleep tube hanging out of his mouth um it was a lot it was a lot to process but I mean God had given us such a calm like I just kept telling people he was just so near to us like I just felt like he was just like right there like it was just a supernatural feeling of God is right here with us in this hospital, uh, especially after they really got started on the surgery. I mean, honest to goodness, the dread of it was the worst. But um, so we saw him at 520 and his cardiologist came in soon after that. And she listened to him for the first time. And she's like, the murmur's gone. <laughs> what? Like it hadn't even occurred to us. That would be different. I mean, he's always had that. Yeah. So that kind of took us for us for a loop didn't Mm -hmm. it it was kind of an emotional moment like wow he has a normal heart now like he's never had a normal heart and so at that point we started waking up and becoming more aware of the tube in his throat and um, we just wanted it out but there's a process I mean we understood that they were watching numbers and and so they finally at nine o'clock took the tube out he was starting to kind of have a panic look on his face like please get this out of me and so at nine they took it out and that he was able to, you know, eat, drink ice chips and do all that. And he ha- he stayed one night in the ICU. He had a one-on-one nurse who watched him like a hawk all night long, which was very comforting for us. We were able to sleep a little because we knew she, that was his, own, that was her only patient. And so she, she tended to him all night. I mean, she worked, I've never known how hard those nurses work she worked hard all night something was beeping constantly and she'd have to push it and do something on the computer and she was on both sides of his bed and she didn't hardly sit down it was it was impressive what they tell you for recovery time or uh you know we said he's a baseball player when can he start doing physical activity when can he play baseball again what 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 was his new normal for a little while you want to take over a little? I can. Um, so his surgeon said six weeks. Um, first, well, first of all, he said plan on five to seven days in the hospital. Uh, some can get out in four. That's pretty early. But five to seven days is a good average. So Reese's goal was four. <laughs> um, the competitor. Right? Yes, it was. He was like, game on. I'll show this hospital. But he did leave five days after his surgery. So... But go ahead, yeah. Yeah, so full recovery time, six weeks from the surgeon. Our cardiologist, you know, she's had him since day one. We know how that she's on. she airs on the side of caution. She's more conservative. She says eight weeks. And so that, that's about what we did. He, he resumed baseball activity, I think. I think we did seven weeks. <laughs> I think we went back like maybe just a day or two early. Um, he could not lift over 10 pounds for those first six weeks, right? No. That mm-hmm. was, so he had to have friends carry his backpack at school. I'm sure he hated that part. <laughs> it was so sweet to see those boys come meet me at the front door in the morning or walk him out to the car in the afternoon carrying their backpack and his backpack. and um, So it, that was to allow the sternum to heal. So, I mean, he's almost like a minor celebrity, a little a bit. A little bit. He had a little school. attention. Because yeah. <laughs> he was out of school for four weeks. Four weeks. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. So so we only had two weeks of needing help with the backpack. But, yeah, he had a, such a sweet. They um, So, see, at the poll was back in September. His surgery was October. They had a special prayer time over him at see, at the poll. And then the last day of school before his surgery, there was a special prayer time for him before school started in one of the classrooms. So he had such a sweet support system at T.W. Hunter. The teachers, the kids, I mean, they were just so supportive. Ton bought shirts. I mean, and we didn't get any money out of that. That's not what that was about. It was just a support thing. And they all wore them the day of his surgery. And Which they didn't even know about. No. We didn't know about the shirts. We didn't know about the shirts. <laughs> yeah. That was a little surprise. No. But... Um, but yeah, so six weeks he was he was ready to go, as you can imagine. <laughs> he doesn't sit around very well. So now healed up, 
back to playing sports. You said he's going to have to have surgery again. Any kind of guess or estimate by the doctors, or is it just wait and see what happens with the valves? Yeah, it's yeah, kind of a wait and see. I mean, there's some averages. I think that pulmonary right. valve, usually you can get about 10 years, I think, out of that. So, you know, he'll be mid-20s maybe before he has to have that replaced, and hopefully longer, I mean, and, and maybe sooner. But, again, that's not as invasive of a surgery. That will just be through a catheter. So surgery, yes, but not open-heart surgery. We're hoping he can get many years out of the aortic valve. Yeah, and with that being his own tissue – that for on the aortic valve now, you know, hopefully his body can just hang on to that one for a really long time. But yeah, but it's it's, just it's a, all up in the air though. We there's no way to really know how how his body will respond and react to all that. I remember thinking when we were learning of all this the first week of his life, thinking his wife will go with him to doctor's appointments one day. <laughs> I won't be the one to do it. Like, that's weird. It's a lifelong thing. And honestly, that was one of the hardest things to come to terms with is this is lifelong. But on the flip side of that, as you're sitting in Vanderbilt and you're looking around at these children that are so sick and some of them won't make it out of there, you're thinking, you know, God, this is fixable. Like, it's awful, and he is restricted, and, you know, it's something he's always going to have to deal with, but it's fixable. And I just remember being so thankful that God showed me that early because, you know, it was a lot to process, and nobody wants their child to have anything like that, but it wasn't anything that was going to keep him down too long. So we were thankful. Yeah, and and so at Vanderbilt, I, I just realized there, you know, I was like, no matter what we're going through, how hard we think this is, somebody's always got it worse. And we met so many, like, families and people that are just great. And, like, their one one grandmother was there. She would come in on the weekends. Um, her grandson, Legend, was in the <laughs> ICU, was a newborn, and was going to be there minimum three to four months with what he had going on. And, you know, just they, – they were from Chattanooga. So it's – I mean, we're – Right here in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, we just have a little 25-minute drive, and they're two and a half hours away, and they do this every week, this back and forth. So um, but there's there's some really sick kids there, and we just, you know, I would just thank God for where we're at and pray for those kids and um, just realize, you know, somebody's always going through something tougher than what we've got. So it just kind of puts it in perspective. And God had, I mean, obviously we got a front row seat to see some things that, you know, God put people in your path throughout this. Yeah, I remember you meeting with that mom mm -hmm. who you got to actually sit with her. Her daughter had gone through this a year before and get the exact same procedure. Yes. Just so like what, specifics. What would you pack? What, you, what do you wish you had known? And now you know that God will put somebody in mm -hmm. your path that you'll get to be that for. Right. And I've actually already talked to one mom who's daughter and it was just like a friend through a friend like I don't know this mom but her daughter was having a valve replacement and she just gave her we hooked our phone numbers up and we talked for an hour I don't know her I wouldn't know her if she was sitting here but um, I mean I, well, we want God to use our story we want God to use Reese in his story and his testimony like it's his and 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 God equipped Reese with the personality I think to really use it one day I don't know what that looks like but I'm excited to see how he uses them. But, yeah, I mean, just little things. Like when we first scheduled the surgery, and I wasn't sleeping real well those first few nights, and I'd wake up with things like, I've got to go get him a zip-up hoodie. Like he's not going to be able to put a shirt on. And I go to Opry Mills to the Nike outlet, and I, for some reason, tell the 20-year-old guy that's helping me why I need a zip-up hoodie for my 13-year-old. And he said, I've had three open heart surgeries. I know exactly why you need this. I wow. mean, just stuff like that that I know is God. Just like, like I got you. I see mm -hmm. you. You know, I see you right now. And we have numerous stories like that. Just people just in just the right moments. And I just cried right there. And Nike outlet. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Can I get a yeah. discount on this? It's wet. It's got something <laughs> all over it. I don't know what this is. 
But you didn't see those as coincidences. No, I mean, for sure not. It wasn't no. a coincidence. God continued to do that, to show up and be near through mm-hmm. other people and mm-hmm. yeah. through his spirit, through his word. Well, th- this is a, just another, you know, God story, too, that when Reese was first born and we were at Vanderbilt the first time, um, you know, it, it went before his before Reese was even born, we there was a family that was struggling. We felt led to give to them a certain amount of money. And so we're at Vanderbilt, and, you know, Reese is going through his um, heart cath procedure. And, you know, uh, the open door class, you know, came and presented us with a gift card because they wanted us to be able to get food and all that thing. And it was the exact amount that we had given, you know, months prior to this. three months before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just like how things just come full circle and – you know, God's looking after us and through through it all. So, another example of God intervening when you all were at the hospital for the certain no visitors. Still, Vanderbilt was one of the last hospitals in Nashville to mm-hmm. open up to visitors and family. But someone else you knew was in the hospital with a sick child. Yes, on a different floor, so you were able to have support right. with each other. Mm-hmm. We just met. We were texting like, "What floor are you? Let's meet outside on the breezeway." And we met and hugged, and we just couldn't believe we could see a person we knew, and just be there for each other. Because honest to goodness, family was waiting outside. They literally could not come in the building, and so we would see them passing for coffee or whatever, and it was such an encouragement. Yes, another God story for sure. That was torture for all of us who could not be in there. (laughs) I mean, all we wanted to do was sit there and be with them and do the family thing. Do the family thing. We we show up. Our family shows up. We would have filled that waiting room. Yeah, that was hard. So, and and I do have to admit, on one of the last couple of days there, um, I did sneak Aunt Lo up there. Yeah. So Vanderbilt, (laughs) if you're listening, I'm sorry. Rogue procedure there. <laughs> they said we could have one visitor, and Reese wanted Brett, which was really sweet. Um, so he was able to come in. And Brett we, is his brother. Big brother, brother, yes, 16-year-old brother. And so he was able to come in one night and visit. And so I think it was the next night, mm-hmm. maybe, Reese was craving sushi or something kind of random. He really didn't eat very well that week. So anything that sounded good, we got mm-hmm. it. And um, she brought sushi. And the next thing I know, Jason was going down to meet her to get the sushi. And then I look up and they're both walking in the room. <laughs> and I hadn't laid eyes on anybody I knew <laughs> except for Brett visiting. So that was. It worked out well. There was a big UT game going on that night. And so yes, Jason had on a UT shirt. <laughs> and the lady who was letting people in and out was a UT fan. So they kind of like started, oh, are we, are we going to pull this game out? And so as they had that conversation. Yeah, I was like, just go, go, go. <laughs> Meet you at the elevator. That was the night of the big game yeah. yes. with Alabama. Uh-huh. 52-49. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never forget yeah, where we were. Yes. Reese couldn't quite enjoy it as much, you know. He just <laughs> didn't have the energy. He didn't have this, no, his personality about him just yet. But, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> That's two victories for Jason that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other questions or anything? Well, you I would want just talk say, about? like, what are things thinking from your perspective, like things that people could do to support? If there's somebody else going through this and you think, okay, this was really great, or I wish we don't say I wish we, I wish y'all had done this. Yeah. I'll feel really that bad. Because <laughs> there's, you know, there, from a family's perspective, you just want to do anything to help. And so if there's somebody listening who's thinking, I've got a family member or a friend who's going through something similar, what are things that they could do to show support and love to their family going through something? I mean, knowing the rest of our kids were taken care of was huge. We knew meals were coming every other day. We had friends offering to take, you know, our our kids um, here and there and do whatever. Family was obviously right there. So that was probably the biggest thing for me, just knowing – our yeah, other know, kids were taken care of. Knowing that they were well cared for, we didn't have to worry about what they were going to do, what they were going to eat. Like, just all that was just taken off our plate. Mm-hmm. The meal train was set up for a month or longer, whatever it was. I mean, that, you know, not to have to think about meals. I mean, it was just 
all that was a huge supporter. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are just great ways that anybody can minister and help somebody out. A lot of DoorDash (laughs) people showed up at our house and it was such a blessing. They text us, what do you want from here? And, you know, an hour or so later it was there. So that was a huge. I mean, we, you know, we had the meals coming even while we were in the hospital. You know, I mean, just we didn't have to. Mm-hmm. think about going to the cafeteria or down the street to get food, like everything. I could just walk down the steps, meet them outside, grab the food, and go back up and eat it. I mean, it was such Breakfast, a blessing. dinner, whatever it was, yeah. Food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you got to eat. Love. <laughs> you really do have to eat to keep up your energy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's taxing. taxing, yes. Yeah. It is very, I mean, you're... You're a little on edge. You want to help and do all you can for your, you know, your child or whoever you're taking care of. And so you need your energy for sure. They're the ones going through the procedure, but you're going through not sleeping mm-hmm. and stress, stress and yeah. all that kind of stuff that, yeah, right. that's, you got to take care of yourself, yeah. like you said. Yeah. Uh, I've got a little bit of a funny story that, so this was, I don't know. I think he still night, had his chest too. Yeah. So. I'm going to say it was night number two. Um, so he was in the the ICU, was there a night, and then we went to a step-down unit, um, which is a more of a normal room. They still monitor him closely, but um, you don't have that nurse in that room at all times. And so Reese has a history of when he's sick, has a fever, he hallucinates. And so he might wake up in the night, see things, his eyes are just bugging out, like it's really kind of creeping. Tamiflu was our first um, indicator of this. Like this Whoa. is not heart related. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, either night one or night two, he does this. Where I'm dead asleep, Dana's asleep, but I I hear something that startles me, wakes me up. Well, he's trying to get out of the bed, and he's kind of talking out of his head, like. I really got to get, I got to get to the bathroom. I got, I got, I got this right over there. I mean, just like, Reese, please just settle. You cannot get up. You have wires, chest, chest tube, tube. That's connected to, you yeah, know. Yeah, we cannot pull this thing out. But he doesn't hear me. I mean, he's yeah. just out of it. And so I'm, I'm literally having to hold him on the bed so that he, because he's trying to get up. And I'm calling, Dana, Dana. <laughs> She's just out, like, Dana, like I'm screaming, and she. Just, I mean, I was like right there. Yeah, and she's usually not that no. out of it. I'm must usually the first one up, and he hasn't slept in a few days. Uh, they must, slept they, in a couple months. Yeah, they must true. have had a good DoorDash delivery that day. <laughs> yeah. she, that was a good meal. Yeah, she was out. Yeah, and so the the little slider door was closed, but the nurses they they eventually heard me, and they all came in. We had about the doctors came in. There was eight to ten people in the room. And she was never woke up <laughs> the whole time. I, I told her the next morning, I was like, you, you missed it. Oh, what I miss? I mean, he was a little frustrated with me. <laughs> well, I just. <laughs> you were nervous. In a sweet I, way. Well, but I'm, I'm glad you slept. But I just, <laughs> I just was afraid he was going to pull that thing oh, out. And I, we were he have, still had like two IVs, a chest tube. He, he was hooked up to a monitor until they rolled him to the car. Like they and that was I'm talking like lots of cords all over his chest. So he was hooked up the whole time. But that was kind of a major hookup there that he was gonna mess up. Yeah. And major I, hookup, I major hiccup. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, slept through I, it. I think I needed to sleep that night. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, yeah we it, we we got it. All we got right. it worked out. He snapped out of it after I, about ten minutes. I wake up for the important stuff. Come yeah, on. I know. <laughs> Funny thing was, so we had taken two cars out there. My car was there. That's what Reese and I had driven to the hospital, and he took his his car. He knew he'd be back and forth, so he took that. And so I knew I wasn't leaving. Uh, so my car had sat there for almost a week. It was six days. So we wheel him out. It was a big deal to be discharged, finally be free of all those wires. We get out to the car, and my car wouldn't start. <laughs> <laughs> Literally would not turn over. And um, I don't guess you had jumper cables. We, so we no. had to call. So Reese is in this. So we get him in the car that wouldn't start. You know, got him out of the wheelchair, loaded the the car up. We had all this stuff. 
And we called the Vanderbilt, you know, security guys over. They tried to jump it. That didn't work. They couldn't use jumper cables. It had to be the battery thing. The jumper box yes. is all they could use. And and even with two of those, my car still would not start. It was so, sleeping like Dana. It, yeah. yeah, it was <laughs> as dead as I was that night. So poor thing, we had to get him out of that car, get him back to Jason's car with some of the stuff. We it wouldn't all fit in his, and we piled in there and got home but we just wanted to get home and we had <laughs> like couldn't. close to an hour in the garage <laughs> trying to get out so but he made Did you it. laugh about that in the moment or was it later i think i was kind of laughing about it i was pretty <laughs> i was pretty good all right well thank you all for coming and sharing a personal story but you tell it well and i do think like you said reese is going to tell this story and impact a lot of people deeply as he continues to prayer. grow up. Mm-hmm. So. That's our prayer. Use it for his glory, for sure. It's God's glory, for sure. Yeah. And he knows he has Aunt Lori to come bail him out. She's a criminal, broke That's into right. Vanderbilt I'll Hospital. do what I have to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's her first phone call. She was going to lay eyes on him. I really week. missed him. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to read Reese's, I guess we can call it Reese's verse. Sure, Reese's I wrote verse. his name by it in my Bible. <laughs> Reese's verse. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Did you read the whole thing or just stop? That, that's, that's where, where I we stopped. stopped. Yeah. yeah, we'll stop. But there. the next verse is all. Yeah, also I mean, it, it, yes, <laughs> it continues. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness mm-hmm. so that all the power of Christ may rest upon me. That really does speak to you all's condition his entire life yes his yeah. we you had no control he was out of our control for no any control. of this since and that was hard. the day he was born yeah that i will is. say too i we knew the surgery was coming at some point in his life and because he is so active with baseball and that's what he loves and that's what he can do i had started praying that god would just time it out to where it was in the off season <laughs> Please make it in the off season. It's like the one sport he was, you know, could still do. We couldn't do basketball anymore, and and he missed one tournament in the fall and a couple of workouts in the spring, like the winter workouts. So he, it was perfect timing. It was God's timing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we're glad that you all have been with us through it. This episode, come back again next week. All of you know it, but this is for Reese. Reese, we love you. God <laughs> loves you more. See you next week. Thanks for listening to GPS to God. Make sure you leave a rating or review on whichever app you happen to use. Also find us on YouTube and be sure to subscribe to our channel.